If you're staying with us in here, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to do the second half of this chapter today, starting in verse 20. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, I need to let you know today that Christmas is next week, okay? And uh, this is your <laughs> this is your final warning, all right? Uh, whatever you need to do to prepare, now is your time. Uh, I think for me this year, Christmas has come faster than it ever has. And I realize as I say that, I sound much more like my dad or my grandfather than I would like to admit, but it comes faster and faster uh, the older I get. And I remember so many years as a kid, and maybe you can remember back and think, and Christmas was always so slow, right? So slow. It just couldn't get here fast enough. And there was such anticipation and just longing for, man, I can't wait. I can't wait, right? And I don't know that that's my experience as an, as an adult, but, but looking forward to this, this joy that is set for us is just such a key element of the Christmas season. And I think God made it that way. Today in our passage in, in Luke, uh, Jesus is going to be teaching about the kingdom of God that is coming. He's talking about something that is sure to come. And maybe most of our experience with it is that this is really slow. It can't get here fast enough. It seems to be taking forever. Um, but as we talk about the kingdom of God that is coming, um, today we're going to look four different ways. We're going to look forward, we're going to look backwards, we're going to look inward, and we're going to look outward. Uh, Jesus is going to force us to, by his teaching, to look forward to God's future salvation and judgment. We're going to look backward to what he's already accomplished for in his salvation and judgment, we're going to have to look inward at our own selves and see where our heart is. And we're going to have to look outward and think about those that are around us. All right, so let's read it together. Luke 17, starting in verse 20. He says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they said, and they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and even being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. 
so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And when they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, that we can look forward to your coming kingdom And look forward to the day when all things are made right, where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is no more brokenness that we live with on a daily and weekly basis, God. God, we long for the day that Jesus returns and makes all things right. God, I pray that as we think about that, God, it would would make us to look inward at our own lives and how we're living and and see if there is belief in us that we are believing in the Son. God, it may help, help us look outward to those around us who are eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage totally unaware of your coming kingdom. God, I pray that it would motivate us and move us to share the good news of Jesus with those who are oblivious to it. God, and help us as we look back and as we celebrate Christmas during this season, God, to not only remember what you started in your first coming, God, but to anticipate and long for your second coming when all things will be made right. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's jump in. Verse 20. So Jesus is asked a question uh, by the Pharisees. And they want to know, as it says in verse 20, when the kingdom of God would come. Now, Jesus has often spoken about the kingdom of God. This is, uh, this is a common theme. This is all over Jesus' teaching. And we've, we've touched on it. We've not camped on it by any means. Um, but I think many of them were confused when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, They're confused because, just like us, when we hear the word kingdom, we associate certain things with it. I think of kings, I think of thrones, I think of armies, I think of strength and might and borders and rule, right? Dominion, right? That's what we think of when we think of kingdom. Um, But Jesus, when he speaks of the kingdom of God at this point, he's not talking about that. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. And so what these Pharisees are asking, in essence, is this. They, because they they had heard Jesus teach, and they, they had heard him basically claim to be the Christ, the Messiah. And so their expectation was from the Old Testament, that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to establish his rule and his reign and he would plant his kingdom. So they're going, when, Lord? Where's the army? When are we going to do this? When are we going to take over the Romans? When are we going to dominate our enemies? And when are we going to take power? That's what they're wondering. When are you going to make all this brokenness right? 
And Jesus looks at them in verse 20, and what does he say? He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Jesus tells them, your, your expectations of what I came to do this time are wrong. You will not observe it. You will not see kings and rulers and thrones and dominion and power and armies because the kingdom of God is not about force. It's not about power. It's not about kings right now. Right now, it's something spiritual. It's something eternal, not temporal and physical. And he says, verse 21, what does he say? He says, Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. They, they wanted Jesus to point to, hey, I, here is this army. Here is this kingdom. Here is this place. Here it is. And he's saying, no, you, you can't do that. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. They wanted uh, Jesus to do these, these signs of the Old Testament. They wanted him to do these cataclysmic and apocalyptic signs to kind of prove. But he's telling them, no, that's not, that's not it. That's not it right now. His first coming, which is what we are celebrating in the month of December, hopefully. Hopefully we're not just doing all the stuff. Hopefully we're celebrating the first coming of Jesus. But the first coming was to establish something in the midst of us, something inside of us. That's what Christmas is all about. He says it's in the midst of you. It literally means inside you. It is in you. It's within you. It's not, it's not something external that can be observed. It's not a physical, temporal kingdom. It's a spiritual, eternal kingdom. It's very different than what they expected, but it is so much better. For the moment, right now even, and, and we're gathered together, and this is one of the ways the kingdom of God can be seen, but still, the kingdom of God is invisible in many ways. It's not always going to be the case, and that's what we're going to talk about today. One day, this invisible kingdom that's within us will be visible. When Christ comes again, when we celebrate his second coming, not his first coming, he will make it very, very clear. Now, it's important for us as we think about this today that we look inward, right? Because we want to look outward at so many of us. We want to look at our actions. We want to look at other people's actions. We want to look at uh, all the external stuff. And we should learn from this that the kingdom of God is more about what's on the inside than it is what's on the outside. And he's saying we need to take a look at our own hearts. Is my heart one that believes? Is my heart one that trusts in you? Is my heart one that is sold out for you? Because that's what matters. It's not the externals. It's not all the, 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 the clothes and the, the rituals and all the stuff. He says, no, it's within you. Let's keep going. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Verse 23, and they will say to you, look there or look here, but do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
He says, the days are coming, the days. Anytime you, you hear those phrases, usually this is talking about still something future, something in uh, times related, the day of the Lord or the days of the Lord. And he says here, it's the days of the Son of Man. And he's talking about the end of all times. Now this, this phrase, Son of Man, comes from the book of Daniel, and we'll read it here in just a second. It is one of Jesus' favorite ways to describe himself. He doesn't call himself the Son of God. He does sometimes, but that's not his favorite word. He doesn't call himself the Christ. He does sometimes. His favorite reference to himself is the Son of Man, right? And maybe he's speaking of his humanity, but he's really speaking of this passage in Daniel about this promised Messiah. And here's what it says uh, in Daniel 7, uh, verse 13 and 14. This is about the Son of Man and the kingdom of God being established. Daniel seven thirteen and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed, right? So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying this Son of Man is the one who will have an eternal kingdom, a forever kingdom, one that all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages will bow down and worship him. This is not a small phrase. This is, this is a hugely loaded phrase. And he tells them that the days are coming, that you will want to see the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. So, so what he means is, the people he's talking to right there, they are not going to see the days of the Son of Man. Why? Because that's not what he came for the first time. He is the Son of Man then. He came to do something else. And he'll come back again one day, and that's what he's talking about. But he tells them, you will not see the days of the Son of Man. He tells them it's, it's far off. It's, it's something that's still yet to be happening. And so for us, as we think about this, yeah, we need to look inward. But we also need to look forward. As Christians, we are, we are those who believe that there is a God who created this world. And though we broke it, and though our sin and our choices mess it up every day, there is a day that, that God is coming back to fix everything that has been broken. He is coming back again. He has not come, born as a baby, so we could have Christmas and give gifts, and then he just kind of let it go. No, he started something here, and one day he's going to come back and he's going to fix it all. And so we as Christians should long for that day. We should, we should desire God, please come back. Stop the amount of suffering. Stop the amount of brokenness. Stop the amount of un-God-glorifying behavior. God, we want you to come again and rescue your people. When we celebrate Christmas, we think of, of, of how they were longing for the Savior to come, but we should be no different, that we too are longing. Lord Jesus, come again. Fix what is broken. He tells them in verse 23, They will say to you, look here, look there, but do not go out or follow them. 
I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of people that make all kinds of end times claims. Anybody ever maybe heard some, some of those? <laughs> you ever heard some people make some claims about, hey, well, this is happening, and look over here and do all, and, co- and see what's happening, right? We, pe- why? I have no idea. Because Jesus tells us he doesn't even know the day that he's returning. Only the Father does. But for some reason, maybe we know a little bit better. So people make all kinds of claims and say, hey, look here, look there. And what does Jesus tell us to do here? He says, do not go out, do not follow them. He's warning us to be discerning. People are going to claim all kinds of things about what will fix all things, when Jesus will return, what God's doing, what God's saying. And he says, do not be deceived by speculation, by somebody's gumption, by somebody's claim. We need to rest on the surety of what Jesus teaches us, that he will return, that he will make all things right, and that we should stay prepared for that. And how is he going to return? Look at verse 24. He says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. He says it will be like lightning that flashes from one side of the sky to the other. There's a few things I think he's trying to say. It will be obvious, okay? (laughs) Lightning is not something done in a corner. Lightning is obvious obvious to everyone who is on the earth, right? It is obvious. It is sure. Not only that, it will be quick. It will be abrupt. It comes seemingly out of nowhere, right? There's signs. There's, there's things that lead up to it, for sure. But he's saying, there will be no mistaking it. There's a lot of people that claim to be the Christ. He says, that's not them. He says, it will be like lightning that fills the sky. Everything will be known. There will be nothing left to interpret, nothing left to extrapolate, nothing left to guess about. It will be obvious and clear as the lightning lights up the earth. So will it be. And Jesus is sharing this to them. And I think maybe for us too, right? Some of us, and and I grew up in the left behind culture, the, the books and the, the movies and all that sort of stuff. And there was always this fear that maybe I missed it. Maybe it happened and none of us were aware. And what is Jesus making clear here? No, 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 no. If it's really God, if it's really the Son of Man come again, everybody will know. Now he says it's not yet to be. He says in verse 25, that you're longing for this to come, and it's going to happen, and it's going to be obvious and clear to everybody. But he says, verse 25, But first, he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Before Jesus can come again, he's got to leave. And the way he's going to leave is to go to Jerusalem and accomplish all that he has been sent for. Jesus was born in order to die in our place. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at Christmas Eve for that reason. Because he was born to die in our place. This is what he came for the first time. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to purchase our pardon on the cross. Now, it's interesting because he's speaking to these Pharisees. They're going to be a part of his rejection. They're going to be a part of his suffering. Now, I think it's interesting 
that as we celebrate Christmas, that, that we need to look back on this. We need to look back and see what Jesus came for. See the purpose for which he came for. We're not just those who are looking forward, but we're, we're looking back and we're rooting our, our trust and our belief in what God has already accomplished. That he sent Jesus in such humble circumstances like was predicted over and over in the Old Testament. And Jesus lived this perfect life as was, as was told by so many and he died the death that was predicted by so many in the Old Testament. We're looking back. Yes, we're a people that look back and, and we stand on this firm foundation of God being faithful to his word. That's part of our, our celebration of Christmas is reminding ourselves and remembering that God is faithful. And we also look forward, right? So thinking about Christmas and what God came to accomplish by sending his son he, he came once to die for sinners. He came once to, to pay the price for us. But that's not the end of the story. He didn't do that so we could just have little church clubs and get together every week and have fun traditions and do all that. No, no, no. He's doing something so much bigger. He's coming again one day. But he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a king on a horse to establish his kingdom that will be for all people for all times. And here's what that will look like. Verse 26. It says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus compares his second coming to two other events in uh, biblical history. First, he compares it to Noah and the ark. Let's just remember the story of Noah's, Noah's ark, right? We're, we're it's like we're in the warehouse, right? I don't have a felt board and pictures and all that sort of stuff this morning. It's okay. You remember the story. And what's the story of Noah and the ark? God has created the world, and sin has entered in. And it started really small, but it has overtaken. So much so that it says that God lamented, he wished that he had not created humanity because of how wicked they were. And so God was going to destroy humanity. But he found one man, Noah, who was still what? Righteous. One man, Noah. And he told him to build a boat. To, to build a boat to rescue his family from, I'm remembering the story, yeah. Uh, to build a boat, yeah, Noah's ark. To rescue his family from their sin, right? And what did Noah do? He believed God's word and he obeyed God's word, even though it made no sense. And by faith, he and his family were saved. There was one way of salvation and everyone else was judged for their sin. Now Jesus says that his second coming will be like this. In what ways will Jesus' second coming be like this? That God will send his judgment. One day God will. He he. In his character as holy and just and righteous, he can't not judge, right? He can't not pour out judgment on sin. 
but he loves us enough, just like he loved Noah and his family enough, that he made one way of salvation for anybody who is in Christ, just like anybody who was in the ark. If they believe and get on that, they will be saved. All right? So we see this picture. This is like, this is the second coming, judgment and salvation. And it it seems, just like it did in Noah's day, to catch most people off guard. He says they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be sudden. Most people will be going about their normal life, doing what they do, completely unaware that God is coming again. And he uses another story, verse 28, the story of Lot. When Lot is Abraham's nephew, and Lot had slowly worked his way to live in this place called Sodom, which was, was a miserable, terrible, wicked place. And let's remember the story. God, Abraham prays that God would rescue him out of it, right? And so God sends angels to go and rescue Lot from Sodom before he pours out his judgment on this place. And, and, Abraham, and Lot believes the word of the messengers and leaves with his wife. Uh, and they, they are out of the city and Lot is saved. But his wife tries to turn back, tries to go back. She looks back. How is Jesus' second coming like this? That, that every one of us is about like a lot, hopefully. Every one of us will be told the bad news that we are sinners who stand in line to be judged by our holy and righteous God. And if we will believe in Christ, we can be saved from it. Some of us will believe that and obey it and go with that. And some people will maybe start that way and turn back. And go back to their sin. And some will ignore it all together. But Jesus' second coming will be one of judgment. But it will also be one of great salvation. He says it, it will be like that day when lightning. It will be like the flood. It will be like the fire that fell on Sodom. It will be sudden. But there will be salvation for those who hear the word of the Lord and believe it. It's hard for us to think of that day. It's hard for us to fathom a day when God, who we paint only as a God of love, will pour out judgment. That seems so far from the modern conception of who God is. But God is a God of love, and God is a God of holiness and perfection, and we are not. Now, the good news is this today, that we don't have to experience that. There is an ark There is a messenger who has come and said there is a way to be saved. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus tells us, keep going, verse 31. says, on that day let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life, to preserve his life, will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding wheat together. One one will be taken and the other left. Jesus is saying when that day comes, when the day of judgment, he says it doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter where you live, this is all-encompassing. 
He says, you may be on top of your house and you try to go and get your stuff together. You know, like I, you, people have this conversation. If you've got a fire, what's the one thing you're going in the house to save? Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. On that day, none of your stuff, none of your anything, none of your possessions, it won't matter. It will not be able to rescue you or save you. The days of judgment show us what is really important. It won't be our goods, it won't be our house, it won't be our fields, it won't be our family, what family we're in. It won't be anything, because when the time of judgment comes, the only thing that matters is me and God. And what is my relationship with him? The days of judgment will show us what we really love. It showed that in Lot's wife, right? She's experiencing this, this salvation, and then she turns back to go, because her love really was that not hearing and obeying the word of the Lord. And then he says in verse 33, and Jesus teaches this at other times too, but he says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And, and you're like, what? What? But, but you think about Lot's wife. She, she sought to preserve her earthly life. She wanted to go back to Sodom. She wanted to go back to this place where she thought she really was going to have life. And what happened? She sought to preserve it, and she lost it. The people in Noah's day, they heard that Noah was building an ark. They heard the message, get on the boat, you can be saved. And they didn't. They sought to save their life, to preserve their life that they had, the life of wickedness and brokenness. But Noah, on the other hand, he gave up that life. Right? So that, and, and ultimately his life was saved because of it. That's the principle here at play. That every one of us has this choice. Am I going to try to preserve my life and keep it how I want it? Do what I want to do. Say what I want to say. If we do that in the end, we will lose our life, our eternal life. But for those who give up their life, we give up, of, well, give up the idea that we know what's best, that we know the right way, that, that, that what we want is the most important thing. He says those that give that up and trust in Christ, those will be saved. It's so backwards. It doesn't make sense because we look around and we think, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to maximize this life. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm gonna, I, this feels good. This feels right. And it's counterintuitive to us, but Jesus is making the point that the only way to save your life is to lose it, is to give it up. And he says in that night, there'll be two in one bed, one taken, another left. Right? He talks about these, these pairs. And I think for us, like, you're not sleeping in a bed with somebody you don't know, okay? Most of the time, let's hope, okay? Um, you're not grinding wheat with somebody that you're not real familiar with. You're not working a field with somebody that you're not real familiar with. And so this is striking to them because they're thinking, wait, what? You mean like some of us are going to be right there in life, partnered with other people, and, and they don't believe, and they'll be taken, but I'll be saved? That's a, that's a hard reality to, to swallow. And it was surprising to them. Jesus is making the point, this is not about familial association. This is not about being Jewish. This is not about anything like that. Because what matters 
in the end is what is your relationship with God? Not what was your grandma's relationship with God? Now, most of us, we associate and we assume that the people that we associate with, the people we run with, for the most part, we believe they, they're, they're, pro- they're good people. They, they know God. They love God. And we just assume that about so many people. And Jesus is telling us this to have us look outward and make, help us to realize, quit assuming that. Have a conversation with them. Understand what their relationship with God is like. And he finishes, and I'll finish because I'm out of time. Verse 37. Where they said to him, where, Lord? He said, where the corpse is, there the vultures gather. They're trying to grasp. Where is this going to happen? Where is this judgment? Who is this going to be on? And he throws out this phrase that basically means everywhere. Anywhere and everywhere. This is a worldwide, this is a, this is not specific to one person or one people group. He says this judgment and this salvation is available and will happen to all. And this is scary news for them, right? They can't even wrap their minds around that God would pour out his judgment again on the whole world and that God would save some from all the peoples. This is so foreign to them. And this may feel strange on a day like the Sunday before Christmas, or nearish to Christmas, that we're talking about judgment, and we're talking about uh, the second coming, and we're ta- but it's so critical. Because if we just understand this, this Christmas season as just this great fun tradition, let's do it. Let's celebrate that. But if we miss what this is pointing to, we miss what he's talking about. The reason he came was to suffer and die so that when he comes again, we don't have to suffer and die. If we only celebrate his first coming with no view to his second coming, then we have missed what Christmas is all about. And so today, let's pray. And I want you to just take a second. And I hope in this season that you will take some time and you'll look back. You'll remember the Christmas story. You'll remember the good news that Jesus came to set us free from our sins. My hope is that you'll spend time this Christmas season looking forward, praying that God would come quickly, praying that God would come and restore and redeem us, that he would fix all that is broken. I I pray that we would spend time looking outward, looking at those around us who who we assume know you or have a relationship with you. I pray that we would look outward and we would see the truth and we would know and we would ask the awkward and difficult question of, do you know Jesus? Have you ever been saved? What's your relationship with God like? May this message of Christ's second coming make us look outward at those around us. And may it make us look inward. May we look at our own hearts and see, God, do I really believe? Or is this just a show I'm putting on for those around me? I pray that as we talk about Christmas, as we talk about his second coming, that you would evaluate what is your relationship with God. Your life is a breath It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Don't waste it. Make sure that you know him. 
God, I pray today that as we just pause for a minute in the midst of a crazy, busy, chaotic season, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with yourself. God, your word says that you satisfy us with yourself. And so I pray this Christmas season and this week, God, that you would satisfy us with you, a relationship with you. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.